yo yo episode 4 let me go yeah what the bible describes when there are more mouths to feed than there is food to feed them is famine because we don't think in christian terms we are thinking about overpopulation if you know that we are supposed to fill the earth you have to make the problem about the scarcity of resources not about the surplus of mouths to feed we back again and the first part is done Knowledge come from Yahweh, the existing one Predestining one, three in one The thrice holy from Isaiah vision This is the Christian vision prescription You catch the mission, let me bless the studio huh? Fix up the microphone, check one, two, three, go yeah. This is Udo Ibeleme, your host And welcome to the show Praise Jesus Alright, so let's get straight into the recap today um, we are doing a series on the Christian vision prescription, and this is part two. All right. So, um, first we spoke about, um, how we know what we know. And the conclusion is that all knowledge comes to us from God, including and, uh, not limited to knowledge about God. And that definitely comes to all of us from God sufficient for us to glorify god and give him thanks but we don't right um we also spoke about god we spoke about god being the one who is we spoke about god being the creator of all things we spoke about god being a trinity we spoke about god being holy all right and we also spoke about what might be the most um contentious the most contentious, sorry, of all of the things that I mentioned, which is that God determines all things. God predestines all things, right? So he determines all things. Um, the way of looking at that before everything begins is that he plans it out. He decrees it. And then while everything is going on, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He is, he is providentially moving in everything that happens over... Um, the past two weeks I've been thinking about it. I told myself that I would offer this as well as a way of looking at this particular issue, right? Um, think of an author and a novel. And I think I did allude to this a bit with a bit of my language, but um, I don't think I gave you guys the full analogy. Think of an author and a novel, right? Um, my first daughter, Chikaima, she is four years old. Praise God. Um, I've recently started reading to her. And when I can't read because maybe I'm eating or something like that, I might play for her um, The Magician's Nephew, which is the first... Um, which is the first chronological book in C.S. Lewis's um, Chronicles of Narnia. Now... Chronicles of Narnia is a series of seven books. The Magician's ne Nephew was published second to last, but um, it is the first in chronological order. So if you want to read the story as it progresses, first thing you should read is um, The Magician's Nephew. So yeah, we started going through that. I started going through that with her just, just for fun, just to spark her brain and all of those things. Um, now... In that story, there are a few evil characters, mainly Uncle Andrew, who is the magician that is referenced in the title of the book, 
right? The main character is Diggory, which is his nephew, right? But Diggory's uncle, his name is Andrew Ketterly. Now, Andrew Ketterly is a magician and he does not care about many things, anything. He would do anything that it takes to get his way, right? Um, and then there's another lady from another world not narnia but another world she finds her way into narnia and becomes the white witch that we see in the later book the lion the witch and the wardrobe right and this is um the empress jadis and she likewise is a magician and she does whatever she can to get her way right um even if it means killing everyone on her in her reality which she did right and then she comes into um narnia afterwards as it's being created the thing about um empress jadis and andrew ketterly they're both evil characters um everyone understands that they're evil characters everyone holds them as much as you can a fictional character responsible for their own actions no one however holds c.s lewis responsible for their actions in a in a sense like he is evil because he created these evil characters and determined that they would do these evil things and wrote them into the story doing evil things no one um charges him with that sort of thing like why why did you make these evil characters that makes you evil in fact the progression of the story and the narration of the story reveals to us that these are evil characters and so they are put there as contrast they're put there for a particular reason and to advance the story in a particular direction in a particular way right so um no one thinks that c.s is lewis is is evil because he made these characters no one thinks that um william william shakespeare is evil because he made um the evil character sherlock in his play the merchant of venice right um now god is more more sovereign over the events of reality than these guys are over the events of the worlds that they created because they're only looking at a few characters there might be a butterfly passing by an ant passing by all of those things that would not at all be in the consideration of lewis or shakespeare but um god he meticulously has determined all things in our reality right and he says that they all work out for our good in the same way that um c.s lewis and william shakespeare would want the stories that they're writing to resolve in a particular way god wants the stories to revive revolve um to resolve sorry resolve for our good and the word says that right romans eight twenty eight says and we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose now if god doesn't determine all things then he cannot guarantee that all things work together for our good because he has to work against some things that didn't go according to plan because he didn't determine those things and 
didn't go according to plan and they're coming against his plan. So he has to work against those things in order to seek our good. But since he determines all things, then he can guarantee that all things work together for our good. So these are um, some things for us to think about, right? Um, and uh, from there, and because of this contentious issue, I'm going to segue into our part two material from there, from God determining all things, because this has been something that has been lost and it has been the... It has been a part of contention for some time, right? And uh, I just want to remind us all that the God of the Bible is an inescapable concept, all right? I'm going to go back to a scripture that I um, looked at in the last episode, which is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of, and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. When I say the God of the Bible is an inescapable concept, we see here that God does not go from not honoring God and, and, and giving thanks to just being completely secular as um, those children of the enlightenment that we have among us today would have us believe. They are not secular in a sense that they worship nothing. Right? The Bible says that they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. We are made in God's image. Again, we all know of this God enough to glorify him and give him thanks. Not enough, mind you, to repent and turn to Christ. Um, they need to hear that with a preacher, right? As the Bible says elsewhere, how would they believe unless they hear or they hear without a preacher, right? So they need a preacher for that. But here we have in Romans 1 that we all know God enough, enough to glorify him and give him thanks, enough to honor him and give him thanks. But we don't, right? If that were not true and we, some of us didn't know God at all, then those persons would not be able to be held accountable for their sins um, because there is no sin really they're not breaking anything that they know about there's, there's no God so there's no sin and if that's the case then we should not give them the gospel because in giving them the gospel we give them a chance to reject it and them rejecting the gospel probably be the worst thing that could happen to them um, when we could just leave them in ignorance right but because we are all sinners against god because according to the same romans 
chapter 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of that, we need the gospel. Everyone needs it, right? So we don't just leave ourselves without God. We replace God and we put something else there. So this is the problem. The God of the Bible is an inescapable concept. So it's not about whether or not there will be a God, but which God there will be. And uh, if you meet a secular person, they might tell you that um, this is not true and uh, they don't have a God. And this proves that um, our Bible is false. That might be something that they might say. But um, here's what I would say. When we deny any of, of God's attributes to God, we attribute it to someone or something else. All right? And this is where our idolatry, idolatry comes from. Um, the things, the attributes of God that we can know that have been revealed to us in Scripture, these attributes are attributes that we should be glorifying God for, giving Him thanks. Things that we can see, not just everything that we see in creation and that is evident to us without opening the Bible, but even those things in the Bible, we should be giving God thanks that he's a good God, that he's a holy God, that he's a sovereign God, all of these things. We should be giving God thanks for these things. But um, if we deny God any of those attributes, we will find something else to put there or we will put ourselves there. Or if we deny God in general, that concept, that inescapable concept of the deity as is described in the bible not just a god the god of the bible yahweh that concept of god is inescapable right so if we don't have a good god we're going to take that inherent goodness and we're going to put it somewhere else if we don't have a, a deter an all determining god we're going to take that and we're going to put it somewhere else um Maybe we might put it in the government and say that they need to determine everything that happens. Maybe we're going to put inherent goodness in the government and not challenge anything that they say or do. Maybe we're going to put, generally speaking, um, so for instance, and there's, a, there's, an, there's an example of this as well. Um, the Bible calls God the Lord, right? Um, calls God the Lord. If you know anything about um, being a lord, it means that you have ownership and control of property, right? Um, God is the lord of all. He's the lord of the earth, right? The Bible says the earth is the lord's. Um, that there is a reference to God's name, not necessarily lord, but the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof, right? Um, if we deny that to God, and there have been people who, in certain fields and in certain um, avenues of thought, have denied God his lordship over the land. What do you get? You get eminent domain. You get we are the lords of the land. The people who we elect and we put there, they are the lords of the land. And they can decide, um, even though Naboth is keeping his vineyard, for his generations that he has gotten as an inheritance 
um, to continue to keep us in inheritance as a godly man should. We can take that from him because of eminent domain. So this is just one way in which people put themselves in societies and they do not consider God and they deny him the attribute of his lordship over the earth and they take that upon themselves. The God of the Bible is an inescapable concept. When we deny God of any of his attributes, we attribute it to something or someone else. All right? So we can't escape that. So something that we should always be thinking. Christian vision prescription. Not whether, but which. And even this... um. Con contentious even this um view that is contended a lot as to whether or not god determines all things if we do not give that attribute to god even us christians we will attribute it somewhere else all right and i don't know if we can be safe thinking that anyone or anything else is in control of all things other than the god of the bible all right so, the God of the Bible is an inescapable concept, all right? I don't think we could talk about um, God enough, but I just want to move on to other things um, as we build our worldview, as we build our Christian vision prescription. Let's talk about what the world is like, okay? The world is created by Yahweh. He is the creator of all things, as we have said before. All right, and uh, he created everything in six days, around um, four thousand years before Christ, and uh, that is as the Bible describes. Now, I'm not gonna go back to Genesis for this one. I actually want to go to the ten words or the ten commandments, right? Exodus chapter twenty, verses eight through eleven. This is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right. Now this is about the Sabbath, which is not the um, discussion that I'm having here. But what is the ground for the command given to Israel in the ten words here, verse eleven, for as in because this is why I'm telling you guys to do this. In six days, the Lord. That's Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this, again, it, it makes it difficult for us to have amendments to, to that view of what is in Scripture. In the same way that people in the Old Testament... And even Jews up until now keep a Sabbath. Other people, other people, I think, do it Rastafarians. Um, reformed people um, do it on a different day. But um, the Sabbath 
the basis given is that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested from creation. Alright? So, you can't make the day and age and all of those things. And um, that, um, that's weird, man. That's just weird. You can't, you can't do that. Right? And you probably shouldn't listen to anyone who does that. They, they, they may very well be saved, but as I said on TikTok, um, that person needs to be in the back of the class, not standing in front. Right? Because you can't get page one of the Bible wrong and then be teaching people. I don't care how, um, how much degrees you have, how much debates you've done, all of those things. I do not care. Um, you need to sit in the back of the class and take notes because this is page one and you're getting it wrong. All right? God created all things in six days. Six days. And Genesis 1 describes it as evening and morning six times each time. Evening, there was evening and there was morning one day. Evening, morning, second day. Evening and morning, the third day. Evening and morning, the fourth day. Evening and morning, the fifth day. Evening and morning, the sixth day. I don't know which part of the day age will be the evening and which part will be the morning. Or how much you guys want to stretch things in order to keep both Christians and non-Christians happy with you. But the Bible is clear. You guys are confusing. The Bible is clear. Alright? So, and this is, this is the reason I'm hopping on this is, is, is very, very important. And when we start um, talking about ethics, we will see how important this is. And this is um, a challenge as well. To not just um not just people who would want to interpret this these parts of the Bible differently in order to compromise, but also to our entire our entire worldview, our entire system of belief. Alright? Um what can we trust God to tell us? If not about what happened in the beginning. Alright? And there are ethical concerns going on as well. Um, and another thing is, people usually say, oh, it's ridiculous to think that God created everything in, in, in six days. Six days alone? Like, come on, millions, billions of years. We've done the tests, all of those things. Um, but here's the thing. With the six days, with God having created stuff in six days, it amazes them that God took such a short time it amazes me that god took such a long time we are talking about an omnipotent god why didn't he just he could have very well done it in an instant i mean he is eternal six days can be an instant for him but again in terms of time god can tell time well god created time he can tell time better than we can. Alright? And he said he did it in six days. But during that six days, he did things very orderly. Alright? And uh, again, the prevailing modern pagan myth 
has chaos behind the wheel when it comes to creation. Chance is creating things. Chance acting on matter. Time is destroying things as it goes along. Right? Um, everything just emerges chaotically by chance. It could have happened. It could have not happened. You know? Natural selection, adaptation, everything just moves forward like that. Unguided. Completely unguided. And yet, we can do science. And yet, there are laws that we didn't establish but can recognize just by looking at the world around us. We can recognize these laws. All right? So, um, that is something that we should really think about. God created the world with order. You understand? On the first day, he created everything. And it was all dark and he created light and he separated the light from the darkness. On the second day, he separated the waters from the waters. On the third day, he separated the land from the seas. And on the fourth day, he populated the, the day and the night with the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the fourth day, he populated the waters from the waters. He populated the he populated it with fish and birds. On the on the sixth day, he populated the land with land animals and well us, you know? Um everything is orderly. Everything is doing. It has purpose. You look at even um ways in which this is described um, before. You guys can see even the scriptures I looked at before. Um, some of them talk about um, God doing things in a very methodical way, weighing things out on a scale and all of those things. Like, um, this is not by chance. And, of course, when we look at creation, we can discover more laws. We can discover the law of gravity. We can discover some of these other things. Right? Um and uh, God didn't just create in six days, 6,000 years ago. He didn't just order all things well. He also created all things good. The last verse of Genesis chapter 1 says, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. All right. So this is again a very, very, very important important part of our christian vision prescription god created all things good we need to understand this we need to know this we need to learn this so that when we get to the ethical parts of things understanding and remembering that god made all things good god created all things good will help us greatly and it will help us when we look for solutions to our ethical issues as well. We'll go forward and we'll look at that later. All right? And not just that. God created the world to be conquered. So, for instance, um, we often think of, and I, I thought so for, for some time as well, we often think of the world before the fall as... A perfect place in which we would not have to do anything. Alright? 
is a utopia, right? Interesting thing about the word utopia, it means nowhere, right? The only people that live in utopia are Eustace, Miriam, and Courage the Cowardly Dog, okay? Utopia is nowhere. Not even there was a utopia. The world still had all of the all of the um cliffs and deep water and sea monsters. All of those things were still there. All of those things were still still there, but they were created to be conquered. Outside of the Garden of Eden was all wilderness, untamed terrain. And it was made to be conquered by man. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky. And over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created us to rule over everything that was created created us to rule and the world that he created before he put us on it was created to be ruled and the garden was an example of how the world around them can be ruled all right stick around we will be right back Enjoy the content here on the Udoi Bellame Show. There is a way in which you can offer support. Doubles. Double. Here in the Twin Isle Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, doubles is both singular and plural. This is the name of our national street food. It is cheap, filling, and it is much healthier than coffee. So I'd really rather you buy doubles than coffee. We are fueled by doubles here on the show. For just one dollar, you can buy me a doubles with slight pepper and extra sweet sauce. You can write in what you want to give, so you can even buy more doubles if you want. I normally eat four in one sitting, but the ancients once said, beggars can't be choosers. Please remember that part proceeds go toward feeding African children. Three of them. Actually two. Amaria is still nursing. She can't eat doubles yet. She's still breastfeeding. So, buy me a doubles today. Check out the link in the show notes. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Alright guys, welcome back. Um, we are still in our discussion of the Christian Vision Prescription. And we've been talking about God. We've been talking about creation. We've been talking about the world that God has made. Now, after having done that, I'm going to talk about mankind, right? Um, not sure if any of you are familiar with mankind, that species. If you've ever seen one, if you're familiar with them at all, um, hopefully this will help you guys, all right? So what is mankind like? What are we like? All right. 
Let's go back to that verse and read a bit more. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What did God want to make? He wanted to make man in our image according to our likeness. So God is making man to be in a creaturely sense like him okay my image in the mirror is as much like me as an image can be it's not me it's not literally me it's not little me it's just my image all right we, mankind, we are as much as God as a creature can be, as a creaturely image can be. We are not God. We're not literally God. We are not little God. We are God's image and likeness. That's what we are. Okay? And uh, there are those who might want to assert otherwise and put us higher up than that there is no higher than that all right but there are those who still aspire to um be like the most high and uh, that is a serious concern all right that's a serious concern that is the first temptation that we've ever gotten and it's not something that we should fall for but there are people who Grace, if we can use that word, your television stations, and say that we are little gods. Mm -mm. We are mankind. We are, we, are, we are not God. We are man. Right? But we are made in his image. And what that means is that, according to verse 26, we rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's what that means. All right. So the image of God is necessary to do this. I've heard um, in other places um, from other outlets that the image of God um, gives us, you know, the ability to communicate um, rationality, all of those things and while that is true, I don't think that's all of all that the image of God is. If that is what the image of God is, then um, we would have to argue that the instance in which um, Balaam's donkey speaks makes him the image of God, at least in that instance. We would have to argue that um, angels and, and uh, anything that we see talking and reasoning in the Bible... At, at least at the moment at which it is doing that, has the image of God as well. I don't think it's that simplistic. But the image of God rules over his creation. That much, that much we see 
from the scripture itself. All right? We rule over creation. All right? In God's stead, representing him and uh, looking like him, being in his image. All right? We are equipped to rule over the world. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. I usually take this as the definition of mankind. In the image of God, male and female. I think I will do an episode specifically about the second part of that. Because we are in a time where male and female has sort of been reduced to plumbing. And for some people, not even that. Um, some people don't even know what a woman is, in their own words. So, maybe I should do an episode about that. Um, but yeah, when we think of mankind, we should think the image of God. Sexual beings, male and female. That is very, very important, and it has implications that go all the way through Scripture. Both of those things, all right? Um, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. This is what we're supposed to be doing, filling the earth. All right? So, what the Bible describes when there are more mouths to feed than there is food to feed them, is famine that's what the bible describes that as the problem is never stated that there are too much people the problem is always stated that there is not enough food we call that famine because we don't think in christian terms we are thinking about overpopulation if you know that we are supposed to fill the earth and we haven't done that yet we have not filled the earth yet. We would not be speaking about overpopulation. Right? What these people are talking about is famine. Alright? But the term overpopulation makes the problem people being too much. Which doesn't compute, biblically speaking. You have to make the problem about the resources. They lack the scarcity of resources, not about the surplus of mouths to feed. All right? Um, that is the Christian view. Overpopulation does not um, compute in the Christian view at all. Right? We have to be fruitful. We have to multiply. We have to fill the earth. We have to subdue it. We have to rule over it. It was made to be conquered. And things thrive on earth when we conquer it well. Even the resources that we are um, not studying, we are not seeing the scarcity of resources as the problem. We're seeing people as the problem. We need to have more of them. We need to have assisted euthanasia and abortion and these other nonsenses, right? Um, we rule over the world well, and the world is made according to God with Herbs that reproduce after their kind. And trees that reproduce after their kind. It's not one pie that doesn't change that we're fighting over. The pie grows. It was made to grow. Everything has seeds. Everything reproduces just like us. 
You understand? And so we can address the issue of resources by subduing the world well, by ruling over the world well, by conquering the world well. All right? We can achieve that. And we have achieved that. Maybe we've forgotten, right? But a Christian view of the world has created such an environment in which um, famine is something for which we have no real world reference. We can read about it, but we've never experienced it. And that is something that we should thank God for. All right? So God has made us to rule the world. God has made us in his image. God has made us male and female. These things are all important. All right? And uh, we... We, we are affected, of course, by ethical issues, right? So let's talk a little bit about that. Right and wrong, okay? Maybe much more can be said here, but um, my goal with these few episodes is just to give you guys an idea of the things that a Christian should have in his mind as he's considering stuff, as he's thinking about things, Right? that he should have these considerations in his mind, all right? So let's go on now um, to talk about ethical issues. What is right? What is wrong? God declares and defines what is right and what is wrong, okay? Let's start with the fourth verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness, okay? So... God saw that the light was good. He he see that. He defined that. He he is the one that declares that. Right? We don't. And sometimes we forget this because we would we have said that things are right. There there are sometimes people assert things to be right. And I think in my head who says who says that this is right or wrong? Who says? You? Who is you? God is the one who declares these things. Objectively. God's opinion on these things are objective truth. He is the creator. Alright? And he sets the rules. Okay? The main ethical concern, and this has been discussed before, is love for God. The secondary ethical concern is love for neighbor. This should never be mixed up. A lot of times I hear people saying, oh, you're not loving your neighbor. And uh, they love your neighbor that they're doing. Again, they have defined for themselves, or some poor Christian leader has defined for them that this particular thing that has nothing to do with what the Bible says, has nothing to do with the law of God, is loving your neighbor. And there is no question of whether or not it is loving God. There's no question of whether or not the Bible says this or whether we can draw principles from the scripture to do this. Or maybe they might be reaching or whatever, but just saying love for neighbor and just um, defining it very loosely um that's problematic let's go to jesus right <clears throat> the most loving man that ever lived 
Matthew chapter 22 verses 35 through 40. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's Leviticus 19.18. All right? On these depend the whole law and the prophets. So what is in view here is the Old Testament. The Old Testament can be summarized. The, the moral of the story of the Old Testament, all of the scriptures that they had at the point in time where Jesus was asked this question, the moral of the story is you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. In that order, all right, loving the Lord your God is more important than loving your neighbor. Loving the Lord your God informs what we can interpret as loving your neighbor. And the particulars of this are found in the law and the prophets, all right? Even New Testament authors refer to and argue from the law and the prophets to, to address some moral concerns, all right? And the fact that this is stated like this from Jesus, and of course he's drawing it from the scriptures themselves, it shows that our affections are a moral concern. All right? God doesn't just care about what we do and say. He also cares about what we think and feel. We are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. We are to love your neighbor as yourself. That is important. The love is important. So I'm going to read something that's not in my notes, right? This is um, Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus. Um, this is his sermon on the mount. Sorry, I'm going to read from um, verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is Jesus talking about the law and the prophets. All right, He's talking about the law and he says, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to, to throw it away. I didn't come to say, okay, I don't have to do that no more. I came to fulfill it. All right? And uh, you guys shouldn't annul it. You guys shouldn't. All of those things he's saying. But then he goes on to say, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. All right? 
Let me skip forward to verse 27. You, sh you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. All right. Now, um, the important thing here is Jesus did not say it is written, but I say to you, Jesus never goes against the scripture. He is going against what the ancients have said. He's going against tradition. He's going against tradition, which uses the word of the scripture. But its fatal problem is that it literalizes it and makes it not apply to anything else than what you literally do. So if you don't literally murder someone, you are fine. Jesus is saying, no, it goes to the heart as well. You understand? You angry with your brother. You are um, speaking to your brother in a particular way. You are guilty. Right? Of course, you can't be um, taken to court in a human sense. But God will hold you um, before his own court. Alright? Um, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Once I ain't sleep with nobody, wife, nobody, I ain't cheat on my wife, everything cool. No. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery. So the standard is what's going on inside. All right? Our affections are also a moral concern as much as our words and our deeds. All right? <clears throat> so there is the sense of ethical concern because it is the right thing to do. And the vision of that is Whatever God says is the right thing to do, so we just obey God, all right? And then there's the sense of, okay, we want to do the right thing. We want to love God. We want to love neighbor. We want to not, not be angry with our brother. We want to not commit adultery. We don't want to do it. We don't think about doing it. All of that, so is about our affections, is about, okay, the altruistic thing. God says, so we're doing it. But also... Um, the Bible also presents like a situational aspect to the ethics where God blesses obedience and curses disobedience. All right. Morality has consequences. Now, the Bible lets us know in somewhere like Deuteronomy 28, most of the chapters curses, like the first 14 or so verses are blessings. You'll be blessed for this and you'll be blessed for that and stuff, 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 stuff. But um, curses, the curses come after. And they, they are curses that are based on breaking the commandments of God. The blessings are based on keeping the commandments of God. So those things are and uh, those things are of, of consequence, right? When we look at words like good and evil in the Bible and even the words behind them, um, those words tend to be used in different senses. So there's a sense in which there's a moral good and moral evil. There's also the sense in which there is circumstantial good and circumstantial evil. And what the Bible teaches us is that moral good leads to circumstantial good. And moral evil leads to circumstantial evil. Alright? There was no death, no sickness, none of those things before the fall, before we disobeyed in the Garden of 
Eden and ate what we weren't supposed to eat. All right? There's no sickness. There's no death. There's nothing circumstantially evil in the world. There's nothing like that in the world before sin enters the world, before we eat what we're not supposed to eat and all of those things. It's right there in Genesis 3. This is where death comes from, sickness. Everything that happens comes out of the fall. All right? It is moral evil that leads to circumstantial evil. And we see as a pattern, if we look at scripture and the narratives in scripture, as well as what God says that he would do, he says that he blesses obedience and that he curses disobedience. And sometimes we don't see these things happening in, a, in an immediate way. But um, God is the main character of the story. And so if we look at the arc of history, we will see that this is true. All right. Um, the wicked that prosper are often described as sprouting up like grass and that sort of thing. Right. The righteous that prosper are described as trees. In the long run, moral good leads to circumstantial good and moral evil leads to circumstantial evil. That's how things work. And why this is important, why this is important, and I'm connecting it back again to what we said about God creating all things, all right, in six days, 4,000 years before Christ. This is why it is important. Because if God did not create things as he said he did six days, 6,000 years ago, if that's not what happened and evolution was involved in any way or we, we, we make a compromise with evolution in any way, what we are saying is that there was sickness and disease and, and death and all of those things before the fall. We are not saying, as the Bible does, that death is evil and that death is an enemy. No, death is a part of the chaos. Death is a friend. Death helps things to move forward. It's a survival of the fittest. The thing that is less fit has to die and its genes have to not continue so that this other thing could move forward. And that's how it goes. It's natural selection like that. And it keeps going and it keeps going. That has to keep happening before we even get mankind and before we even get sin. That has to keep happening. The Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible says this is where death enters the world. It enters the world at sin. So if we concede to evolution, we have gotten rid of sin. We have gotten rid of the moral connection, the, 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 the connection between morality and circumstance. We've gotten rid of God cursing disobedience, blessing obedience. We've gotten rid of that. And we've gotten rid of the premises of the gospel. All right, because Jesus came to die for our sins and he's going to make all things new and, and, and all of that. And, and where is all of the need for that if um, this is just how things are? How do we know he's even going to do that? Because he can't even tell us straight how things were created and that death was involved. 
death is not an enemy anymore can it be defeated because it was always there and it's a part of the creative process all right so this is this is this is very very problematic all right sin affects things negatively and that needs to be bared out in the way that we think about the world okay and again when we look at the creation of the world that god created all things good then we would understand that when we get to any particular problem the problem is our sin the sin of mankind the problem is not things so you know people say guns don't kill people people do that is correct the person didn't get die because the killer had a gun the person died because the killer killed him all right things are not the problem okay if there was no gun people would still kill when there was no gun people still killed sin is the problem not things so when we start to think okay we need to get rid of these problems that we have in society and the way that we're going to do it is that we are going to ban things we are going to disallow people from having things we are going to make people have to go through a process to get permission in order to have certain things what we are doing is that we are denying the christian perspective that says that sin is the problem and not things god made things good we corrupt things if there's any corruption in anything that is our fault all right sin is the problem things are not the problem god's world is not the problem the things in god's world are not the problem the things that god made are not the problem we are the problem and of course god is holy so he must deal with these things he must 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 deal with these things cannot be left as it is that is not the type of story that a good and i don't just mean good in terms of skill i mean good ethically good morally that is not the type of story that a good author can write god will make the wrong right the wrong will be seen as wrong the right will be seen as right and the judge of all the earth will do rightly okay um i think that's going to be it for now we've done quite a lot and uh, we still have some more to go thank you guys for listening and we will continue next time speaking about the christian vision prescription praise jesus you made it through the whole episode, the show done Hope you get some positive in the nucleus You know, a proton Anyhow, you know the slogan Preach, 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 Jesus, Jesus.